Far and Beyond Oregon True Crime, where we explore crazy and bizarre true crime stories around Oregon and the Pacific Northwest. Yay! <laughs> I'm your host, Stacy, And I'm your co-host, Valerie. Alright, how are you this week, Valerie? I'm doing okay. <laughs> it's been a long day. <laughs> yeah, this crazy wackadoo got up at, what, 4 a.m. to go for a hike? <laughs> I got up at 3. <laughs> to do a sunrise hike. She's absolutely insane. Yeah, and it was a little bit cloudy, so it wasn't even that worth it. <laughs> like, but... <laughs> The pictures were gorgeous. Yeah, it was kind of pretty. <laughs> well, in our story this week, we talk about one woman who was followed by murder and tragedy all her life. What was her name? Um, Her name was Melissa D. Gates. Is she still alive? As far as I know, yes. Uh, when did this all take place? It takes place in the 70s. And 80s and the 2000s. So it's more of a modern story. A little bit, yeah. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) I know, some of our other ones have been a little too old for Val. She's like, what is this? Huh? (laughs) So we start our story in Portland, Oregon, where Michelle D. Gates was born on January 30th, 1966, according to most records, to Diane and James Gates. So the thing about the story is... Different places have a different story, mm-hmm. a different version, so everything is just a little bit altered, a little bit different in different places, but most of it, I try to stick with the stuff that stayed the same the most often. How many resources did you have on this? A ton. <laughs> like, every newspaper in Salem covered the story, like, six ways to Sunday, every time it popped up. It was insane. Mm-hmm. I had, like, hundreds of papers to go through. They're all different, kind of. <laughs> yeah, they're all so they're slightly different in a way. Some of them have a little more information than another, and it's just like, ugh. <laughs> and she changed her name several times, so she's very hard to track down. She did? Yeah. You'll find out why. <laughs> so sometime between Michelle's birth and 1977, her parents' marriage hit some trouble, and James and Diane separated. After their split, Diane and Michelle moved in with her... with. Diane's mother and stepfather, Deletta and Norman Reese. On the evening of August 21st, 1977, Norman Reese went into his stepdaughter's bedroom and found her in bed with a man that was not her husband. Uh, Thinking that she had turned to a life of prostitution, he either had a gun or went and got a gun and then shot her. So is this the grandpa killing... The girl's mother. His daughter? His stepdaughter. Huh. While her lover escaped through the window. Let him go. Yeah. (laughs) He didn't do anything wrong. (laughs) Yeah, I I just, I think that's a little extreme, too, to go from, well, she's a prostitution now, gotta shoot her. Mm Mm-hmm. That's like, maybe have a come to Jesus moment, or talk (laughs) to her, or an intervention before that. (laughs) Not just pull out the gun and let's go. And I'm assuming at this time Michelle was actually in the house. I don't know if she was in the room when it happened, but a lot of sources say that this event kind of shaped her. Mm-hmm. Um, That's why it's kind of included in the story. Yeah, it, it shaped the way her life was going to go. Um, her stepfather, Norman Reese, was convicted of menacing and first-degree manslaughter. Now, manslaughter is killing someone without a malice out of forethought, and it's strongly provoked. Like, losing control of your emotions in the heat of a moment. Mm -hmm. 
you know, finding your wife in bed with another man, yeah. not your stepdaughter. <laughs> um, murder is the unlawful killing done with malice and a forethought. Mm-hmm. So I almost feel like you should have been charged with murder because there's a little bit of thought into she's in bed. Let me go get my gun mm-hmm. and then I'll kill her. Yeah. It's not, I had, uh, yeah. Especially because it sounds like he knew that this was going on for a while. Like, you wouldn't just find her in bed with one guy and be like, she's a prostitute. I feel like it had to have happened a lot. But, yeah, and I don't think that's going to, like, make you lose control of your emotions. I mean, she's not even, she's not even really his daughter. He didn't really, I don't think, raise her mm-hmm. to a point unless he had a thing for her. I don't. <laughs> that's that's where my mind goes because he he reacted with such a degree of emotion and obviously was manslaughter so they took that into account. Mm-hmm. But he only served five years for this. Only five years. Five years. <sighs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I said. <laughs> and Michelle was left to be raised by her grandmother. Mm-hmm. So less than a year later, we're now in November 7th, 1977, Michelle was about 11 years old, mm-hmm. and she took her cousin, whose name I'm going to butcher because it's it's an odd name, it's Neheta Otino, and he was three years old, and she took another young child as well to the Washington Park Zoo, which is now the Oregon Park Zoo. Is she like babysitting him? <clears throat> yeah, it sounds like she was their babysitter. At 11. <laughs> yeah. Some babies. I, I wouldn't have trusted my 11-year-old with, with two two children, young children. Mm-hmm. It sounds like they're both under the age of five. In a public place. <laughs> yeah, a very public place. So according to the local paper, the other child, who was never named, had run off, or Michelle at least had lost track of them because, hey, she's 11. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she put Nataya atop a flat top fence, which was like a fence that had like a, a three foot high fence with a flat board on top. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing you could like set drinks and stuff up on, so she just had a three-year-old oh, up there. okay. Um, and this fence was actually surrounding the duck pond, which itself was about three feet deep, two, two to three feet deep. Mm-hmm. So um, the story goes when Michelle returned, she found Natalia floating motionless in the pond. Michelle screamed for help, waded in to retrieve the child, and then CPR was started. It's not stated whether it was by her or an employee, but, and, um, then he was taken to the hospital where he later died from his, from the trauma of drowning. How old was he again? Three. So, yeah, I, I don't do well with little kid. Yeah. Yeah. So, that was deemed an accident, and a few years later, in 1980, Michelle was about 13 years old, and she was babysitting for a neighbor girl named Ruth O'Neill, who was about four. Um, On Friday, January 1980, Ruth went to a local restaurant to get ice cream, which Ruth's mother allowed. Uh No, it doesn't say someone took her to get ice cream. Or she left with someone. It says Ruth, the four-year-old, left the house and went to go get ice cream. In Portland. <laughs> in Portland. I mean, I'm sure it was a totally different place in the 80s, but she's four. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm, I'm thinking, 
like some of the stories had actually had Michelle picking her up and going there with her, mm-hmm. but other ones didn't. So I this more often than not, it just said Ruth left to go get ice cream. Mm-hmm. So I went with that. And about two hours later, Gail realized that Ruth hadn't come home. Two hours. <laughs> two hours. Yeah. So she went down to the rest. In one story, she went down to the restroom where. Ruth had gone for ice cream. Down to the restaurant. Rest- <laughs> to the restroom. <laughs> oh my goodness. So one story, she went down to the restaurant where she had gone for, where Ruth had gone for ice cream, and she actually searched around and found Ruth's boots in the garbage behind the restaurant. Mm-hmm. And at that point, she called the police. That's scary. Yeah, but according to another news story, this is where they all go different tangents. Mm-hmm. Um, the police were called right away. And it was the police that came in and searched for the little girl, um, and her boots weren't found. So I don't know which story is true. Um, a short time later, they actually did find Ruth's body in a neighbor's yard atop a garbage pile. She had on her pants sweater, and a sweater, but no undergarments and no shoes. And she showed no obvious signs of trauma, and the coroner at that time suspected that it was poison. Do they know this neighbor? Um, it sounds like it was like a close-knit neighborhood, so they all kind of knew each other. Um, it was later discovered that her cause of death was drowning. What did Michelle have to do with this? Well, um, as Michelle's baby, as the girl's babysitter, Michelle was actually brought in for questioning. Mm -hmm. Um, it was thought that she might have some insight as to what happened to the little girl who was around her the most, who showed an interest in her. But through the questioning, the police began to kind of put together what had happened Mm -hmm. and discovered that Michelle had caused Ruth's death. Um, One account is as follows, um, that Michelle had taken Ruth to the pool earlier in her backyard or in a neighbor's backyard with the promise of going swimming after having ice cream. Mm -hmm. She then held Ruth under the water until she stopped moving. She redressed her and threw her body over the neighbor's fence onto their garbage pile. She can carry that big of a child? Well, she's only four. Oh, I guess that makes sense. That's sad. It's very sad. Um, and through the interrogation, Michelle also admitted to wrongdoing in the death of her cousin. Mm-hmm. She stated that she had pushed him into the pond and allowed him to drown the two years and prior. So kind of connecting those two. Mm-hmm. They kind of developed a pattern. Um, police arrested Michelle on the charge of murder of Ruth. She was never charged in her cousin's death. Even though they... <laughs> Even though she admitted to wrongdoing, they never charged mm-hmm. her. I think there wasn't enough evidence. Mm-hmm. It happened so long ago, they just thought it was an accident. Mm-hmm. Did she get a lawyer during any of this? <clears throat> um, not at that time that I know of. I don't ever mention her having a lawyer at that time. Shortly after being arrested, threats started being made against Michelle's life, and she had to, um... Her security had to be tightened, and she was held at the Donald E. Long Home for Juveniles. This actually began one of the longest juvenile trials in Oregon history. Because we got to remember, we're starting in 1980. Was she getting these death threats from, because media was covering it and stuff? Yeah, it was a big media sensation. They had stories like, you know, babysitters taken into, uh, for questioning, and then all of a sudden she's suspect. And mm-hmm. Yeah, it was... It was a huge media spectacle. You know how the media can blow things up. 
I mean, what's not to blow up in this one, but, you know. <laughs> but on February 13th, a month after Ruth, Ruth's death, Judge Mercedes Diaz ruled that the statements made by Michelle to police, so her admission of guilt, mm-hmm. was not admissible in court due to the fact that she had not been read her rights and her parents had not been present at the time of interrogation. And the nature of her interrogation. Basically that it was in a small windowless room. She didn't have an attorney. All of that stuff. <laughs> so, so she was a child. <laughs> she was a child. I yeah. Like the police department could have done better. They, they kind of let that one fall through the cracks there. Yeah. That's unfortunate. You couldn't use any of that in court. No. So it had to go on other issues. So on August 12th, Michelle was denied a motion for supervised release. Um, the judge in that matter was a totally different judge. She had, like, six different judges. It's insane. Um, this judge was Kathleen Natchigal, and she stated, I frankly don't know if the girl would pose danger, but she said that she had not shown signs of personality changes since her arrest. Don't know if she is danger. Yeah, she's, she's- she, she couldn't say from what she'd seen if the girl was actually dangerous, because she didn't show any emotion at all? Yeah, she wasn't showing emotion. She wasn't showing anything, it sounded like. Those are the ones you gotta worry about, though. (laughs) Uh, So then we move on to September. So we've already gone almost through the year now. Um, Judge, another new judge, third judge (laughs) now, George Can Humus. Humus? (laughs) No, it's like Humison. I have no idea. These people's last names are gonna kill me. Um, He dismissed all charges against Michelle due to a court rule that a juvenile delinquency a juvenile delinquency petition expires after 30 days unless a waiver is filled out with the court um, and that was not done and the petition expired in February. So she was released and put into temporary custody of the State Children's Services Division and she was secretly moved to an undisclosed location to protect her. Protect her. <laughs> Which a lot of people were really, really upset by this. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was less than a month later in October that the courts again took custody of Mo- Michelle um, under the urging of her father and a court director after being diagnosed as a soci- as sociopathic or aggressively antisocial. Aggressively antisocial? How do you be aggressively antisocial? I have no idea. <laughs> I think that's just kind of their term to cope with sociopath. Uh-huh. I mean, aggressively antisocial, I mean, do you slam doors in people's faces? I will faces? stay home. <laughs> <laughs> I'm staying home and I'm angry about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but her father was taking care of her? It sounds like his, her father, yeah, was the one taking care of her and he was like, there's something wrong here. Mm-hmm. Um, sometime after this, she was actually moved to a girl's home in Maine, which is kind of like the, um, the McLaren, the, the home, the boys, not, it's not really a prison, it's a juvenile prison, so this was kind of like a girl's one over in Maine. I don't know why they sent her all the way to Maine, mm-hmm. but maybe to get her off of our coast. Almost two years later, she still has not been tried, and we are in April of 1982, the Oregon Appeals Court overturned the decision to dismiss the trial for Michelle Gates. And then another two years would pass, and Michelle 
would be ordered to undergo a new psychiatric evaluation, Mm -hmm. as she had been deemed earlier to be suffering from incurable mental defect and unable to assist in her defense. I feel like she should be seeing a therapist throughout this entire thing. Right? Like, accidentally killing that baby at 11, she should have started right there. (laughs) Like, that should have been like, okay, we need to, we need to put something in motion here because something's, even if it was an accident, it's trauma. Uh-huh. I mean, seeing her mo- yeah, seeing mom her. killed or being in the house when her mom was killed or even having her mom killed in the way her mom was killed, that needed therapy. Mm-hmm. I mean... Therapy wasn't as big back then, though. I know. Yeah. You, you, you had to hide your mental defects. Yeah. And which... you, they'd be like, oh, you're actually insane if you're seeing a therapist, so... Like, no, she's just going through stuff. Yeah, it probably would have stopped a lot of this from happening. Uh-huh. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, so on October 12th, 1984, Michelle was finally deemed fit for trial. She was now 18 years old. And um, a new judge, Judge R. William Riggs, hoped that she would be tried soon. As did probably the family of the victim. <laughs> I mean, what, we're five years later? Like I said, one of the longest juvenile trials in history. Yeah, this is going on a while. history. <laughs> so finally, on January 17th, 1985, it's our dad's birthday, by the way. What? <laughs> not, gen- not 85, but oh, okay. January 17th. I was like, that's a huge coincidence. <laughs> January 17th is his birthday. <laughs> um, five years after the murder, Michelle was found guilty in a 10-minute hearing. 10 minutes? <laughs> It took five years, and yeah, in ten minutes. <laughs> yes, I'm like, you couldn't have done this like five years ago. Ten minutes, boom, we're done. And it's, not, she, it's like a hearing too. It's not even. A, it wasn't even a real trial. Yeah, it was a hearing, where the judge said, "Okay, you're guilty." Yeah. Um, she was sentenced to probation until mm-hmm. the age of twenty-one. That's not even what. What is that? That's nothing. How old is she at that point? Uh, she was eighteen. Okay. It's three years, but probation? Yeah. Does that mean she's still free? She's free, but the court ha- is watching over her. <sighs> she got no jail time, basically, except for the little bit of juvie. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's kind of like a she's big... She's guilty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's big let down there at the end. Uh-huh. Um, I'm sure the victim's family didn't feel very good about it either. Yeah. Other than they finally got a she did it verdict. I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, the trial this trial actually opened another can of worms and started a new precedent for juvenile trials. Um, the big question was how much does the public have the right to know and what does the accused have a right to keep private due to her age? With the media. Mm-hmm. That could be why there were so many news articles and stuff too is because they were censoring a lot of it and it was hard to find information. Yeah, and they were trying to, um, there was also news articles on trying to get access to the trial, mm-hmm. because this was such a huge deal back then. Um, the court actually wanted to refuse the press any access to the trial, and uh, the press pleaded that they should be granted it based on Article 1, Section 10 of the Oregon State Constitution, which states, um, Administration of justice, no court shall be secret, but justice shall be openly administered. Or shall be administered openly. And this actually went as high as the Oregon Supreme Court, who, um, June 15th, 1980, finally decided under 5 to 1 that the juvenile court hearings should be open in accordance with the Oregon Constitution. So they decided in six months 
that the press had the right to be in the courtroom, but it took them five years to convict her. <laughs> what were they doing? Five they years, to- like six judges, and <laughs> yeah, it's like, like no judge wanted to touch it or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So in November of 1990, Michelle was, um, I believe. She was, like, 26 years old at this time. Okay. Um, she filed a motion to expunge her record of all charges so that it wouldn't show up. She could do that? Because she was a juvenile at the time, yes. So she just went into court and... And said she wanted it expunged. Um, Gail O'Neill, Ruth's mother, stated that expunging the record would be like saying the murder did not happen and essentially was not fair to the memory of her daughter. Well, yeah, that's not... And the fact that she didn't Great. serve any time, and it took them so long to even convict her, and mm-hmm. then to just get it wiped away afterwards, mm-hmm. after five years after the conviction. Wasn't she, like, 14 when she killed Ruth? She was, like, 13. I mean, I feel like at that point you have some sense of the world and what's going on, and that that's not okay. Yeah. It's not like she was four and accidentally, you know, she knew what she was doing in the first place. Yeah. Um, the courts did not agree with... Um, Miss O'Neill. And by the end of April 1991, Michelle's record was expunged. <sighs> yeah. Disapproving sigh. <laughs> I feel like there's going to be a few more of those. <laughs> so, oh, I'd like no. to say at this point, Michelle went on and lived a very productive life and became a great member of society and never did anything wrong again. But that's not how her story goes. Of course it's not. <laughs> So, on February 6th, 1992, this is just a few short months after her record was expunged, by the way, (laughs) a reporter was contacted by a man who was later identified as Anthony Johnson, and he had a really strange story to tell about his ex-girlfriend and a plot for murder. Guess who his ex-girlfriend was? Michelle. (laughs) Johnson told the reporter his ex-girlfriend... Michelle Shorthouse, formerly known as Michelle Gates. She changed her name? She changed her name to match that of her then-boyfriend, Joe Shorthouse. Um, had reached out to him with a request. She wanted him to kill her boyfriend's ex-wife, Lisa Mackey. So she has a new boyfriend. He has an ex-wife that she wants to murder. Mm-hmm. Michelle was upset with Lisa and her new husband. Mm-hmm. Um, she believed that they had contacted her employer and told them of her criminal past. Guess what she did? What? Michelle Shorthouse had been working as a swim instructor at the YMCA. No! <laughs> was she very good at it? I didn't hear about any more deaths, so obviously she improved a little bit. <laughs> no wonder she wants to exempt her record. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, they couldn't find it because the record was gone. So, <laughs> I, I say more power to Lisa and her husband if they did actually reach out and tell them. Good for you because uh-huh. they needed to know this. They did. Um, she had changed her name from Michelle Gates to distance herself from her past. Mm-hmm. Um, she had lost the job and assumed it was because of Lisa and thought, oh, and, um, she thought it was Lisa, but I couldn't find any confirmation that Lisa actually did this. But like I said, if she did, more power to her. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, she also hoped that with Lisa and her husband out of the way, um, Michelle and her boyfriend Joe could gain full custody of Joe's son. Child. Yes. <laughs> Apparently Michelle could not get pregnant. Uh-huh. Well, that's good. That's good. <laughs> I know. I was like, well, there's a blessing. I, I don't know if it's actually true or not, but that was one of the statements I read in one of the newspapers that uh-huh. she, she was not able to get pregnant. I would be worried. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> so Michelle reached out to Johnson and paid him $1,000 up front and told him she would pay an additional $15,000 once the job was done. Okay. We're going to pause right there for a minute because I worked for the YMCA for nine years. Where the heck is she getting $15,000 from? Because they don't pay that much. I don't know. Maybe her boyfriend's supporting her and that's just what she's pocketing. I I, I don't think you like. could even pocket that much. <laughs> really, you get paid dirt cheap. Uh, yeah, I don't know where that money came from or, or if she even had the intention of actually paying it. determined. Yeah. Like, and it's not like she's jealous because this girl has another husband, you know? Like, she's, she's not trying to get with her man. She's moved on, yeah. Yeah. Um, the plot was originally supposed to take place um, December 21st, 1991, um, between then and January 1st, so, like, New Year's Eve weekend. Mm-hmm. I guess she's was going to start the new year. Without the ex wife. Start it fresh. This is my New Year's resolution. That's terrible, CZ. I'm sorry, that's just what comes to mind. I'm like, so she's trying to start it off. Yeah. I'm a bad person. I am. <sighs> Not a New Year's resolution anybody wants to have. Yeah. Uh, there's no information as to why it did not occur at this time, but you know, like most resolutions, it failed. <laughs> Uh, the date was then changed to April 8th so that Michelle could have a solid alibi because she would be out of the States with her boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michelle had planned out how Johnson would carry out the murder, and he told her and Joe would be out of state, like I said, so they wouldn't be suspected, and Johnson was supposed to make it look like a robbery. <clears throat> Michelle also stated if the husband got in the way, just kill him too. No big deal. Yeah. Pay you an extra thousand that I get. She didn't even offer to pay him extra. She just said, just kill him too. (laughs) I'm like, you got two bodies. I'm I'm getting paid double for this. Mm -hmm. Um, You're just going to leave the bodies there? Is that what he's planning on doing? I guess. It was supposed to look at robbery, so he was supposed to shoot up and steal whatever he wanted. I guess maybe that's where the 15,000 was coming from, their stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, She told Johnson to shoot Lisa Mackey in the head, specifically. Why... That's so vengeful. I feel like... I know. It's worse. Yeah. So on the day the murder was supposed to take place, um, I'm guessing this was under police direction. It didn't specifically say, but Johnson told Michelle that Lisa Mackey was dead. Mm -hmm. And her response was, "Uh uh-huh, okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Completely unemotional. Yeah. Sociopath. Oh, I owe $1,500 now. That's that's great. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll, I'll pay you over time. <laughs> I don't have my job at the YMCA. Maybe I can actually get a better one. <laughs> Through the investigation of the allegations on this phone call, police found out that on April 20th, 1991... They traced the phone call? No, I think they were on that phone call. But um, the previous phone call where he called the newspaper reporter... 
based on those allegations. And when the police were investigating, they found out that on April 20, 1991, while Lisa and husband were on, while Lisa and her husband were away on their honeymoon, the their house caught fire, mm-hmm. causing sixty-seven thousand dollars in damages, and it was discovered that Michelle was connected to this fire and she had hired Johnson to set it. That's not a great honeymoon gift. No. So, I I want you to... This is on April 20th, 1991. Mm -hmm. Her old record was expunged on April 29th, 1991. So she was nine days away from her record being expunged, committing more crimes. So, her record wasn't expunged before the YMCA? Before the fire, no. I guess not. Yeah. Because her record was not expunged until April 29th. Oh, my record's going to be clean? I got to fix that real quick. Yeah. I. Yeah. It's like she had nine days left. Okay. Yeah, let's put some arson on there. (laughs) Yeah. The fire was set nine days before the courts exonerated Michelle from her previous crimes. She um, actually faced charges for setting this fire and hiring, uh, for hiring Johnson to start the fire. Okay. So, initially, in April 1992, she pled not guilty on all charges, but she eventually pled guilty to receive a lighter sentence. So, this trial didn't take as long. Mm-hmm. At least they traced it back to her. Yeah, at least she got caught this time, for sure. <laughs> um, on July 31st, 1992, Michelle was sentenced to the maximum sentence she could be sentenced with, since she didn't actually kill anybody, of mm-hmm. uh, 15 years... Um, Anthony Johnson was not charged in either matter due to his cooperation. What? And it's believed that Joe Shorthouse had no knowledge of the actions of his girlfriend, so he was not charged as well. He did it. Yeah, the, the Anthony Johnson guy actually started the fire, but because he turned her in. They probably wanted to get her in and they cut a deal with him. I think that's what it was, yeah. Mm-hmm. They really wanted her bad. Um, I could see for... The families of the previous crimes pushing, like, just get her. Get her for something. Get her off the streets. Mm -hmm. Um, So she served until 2005 when she was released, and she finished serving probation in 2008. And again, this is where her story should end, (laughs) but tragedy continued to follow Michelle. Mm -hmm. So sometime after her release, Michelle started working at a thrift store in Spokane, Washington. That's a better occupation. Yes, much better. better, (laughs) (laughs) We shouldn't go back to swimming truck. She met Mark Leland, who was a father of two, and married him sometime in 2009. They eventually moved from Washington to California, Mm -hmm. and sadly, Mark became very estranged from his family members, most of them due to Michelle's past. Um, in one article, his brother stated that many family family members were not comfortable with her being part of their family, um, knowing what she had done. They all knew then. Yeah, it sounds like they all knew. Mm-hmm. Um, and as Mark, her history Just with kids, care. and you're going to let him be around your kids, I mean. How many kids did he have? Again? He had two, two girls. Two girls? Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Okay. So... And they they seem to live a happy, normal life. Ten years. In December 2019, Michelle and Mark traveled back to Washington Mm -hmm. to visit Michelle's estranged father, James Gates, who lived just south of Colville, Washington. 
Is this her birth father? Her birth father. Does she know him? It says she's estranged, so I guess they have a relationship, but not like a close relationship, so it's not like they're trying to rebuild it. This was the father that turned her into the police? Because mm-hmm. he was afraid of her? Yeah. <laughs> That's why he's estranged. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it might not be his fault. It's probably... Mm, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't blame him. <laughs> So, on Friday, December 28th, their visit turned bad. Um, Mark and James had never actually really gotten along. Um, They both kind of hated each other. So, according to Mark, he walked into the garage and found James on the floor. And when he asked James what happened, James responded that Mark had pushed him to the ground. James is the father, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you see the problem with this? He came into the garage, found the guy on the ground, and the guy said, you pushed me. How much acid are you on? <laughs> like, That's what I want to know, what kind of drugs these people are taking. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, it was at this time that James pulled out a gun and shot Mark twice. <clears throat> so, when police arrived, Michelle, James, and James's living girlfriend, Susan Alexander... We're all standing at the garage door while Mark was laying on the floor bleeding out. They didn't do anything? No, they're just standing around. Oh, there's another chick there too. She didn't do anything? Nope. Hmm. Yeah, he's just laying there bleeding out. Uh, just let it happen. Mm-hmm. So old Mark right there. <laughs> he's got it. He's good. It's just a scratch. He's being a big drama queen. Yeah, that's her husband, too. I know. I'm sorry. My husband is on the floor bleeding. I'm there trying to help him. I'm Uh not standing in the garage, you know, just shooting the shit with everybody, waiting for... Do you know where his daughters are right now? I don't. It didn't say anything about them being there. Maybe they're staying with other family or something while they're visiting? Yeah, that, or they're just old enough to stay home now. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, so Mark gave his story to the attending officer and then stated he was in a lot of pain and he just wanted medical attention at that point. Uh, Susan and Michelle stated that they had not seen anything. They'd only heard the shots and both of them remained detached and unemotional throughout the whole ordeal. Again, what drugs are you on? Mm Mm-hmm. Michelle is kind of a personality, but... Yeah. I haven't heard of Michelle I mean, having girl. three sociopaths in a house, the, the odds of mm-hmm. that seem really, really unlikely. Yeah. I think there was something else going on there. James pleaded self-defense because, you know, he pushed him to the ground. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. That happened. He walked through the door. It just happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. He looked at me and I fell. Yeah. <laughs> it was his fault. He pushed me with his eyes. So when he was actually told he was being taken to jail, he merely stated, how far is it? I need to pee. <laughs> These people. What the heck? <laughs> I'm wondering if her father's not a sociopath, too. Uh-huh. I mean, part of me wonders, this is totally not founded in, in the evidence, if Michelle just wanted to get rid of her husband and her dad took the fall. Yeah. Because he was older. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, because it's all based on what people say. Yeah, it's just... It, it, the whole thing is so hinky. I mean, they're just standing around while he's bleeding on the floor. Mm-hmm. 
and it specifically said when the cops showed up, they're just standing at the garage. And he couldn't even get, like, a real statement out of the guy. Yeah, out of the the dad, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just like, he pushed me by looking at me. So, James Gates was sentenced to seven years in jail and three years on parole. Mm-hmm. Uh, the prosecution considered this a life sentence because James was 72 at the time. And they think it's unlikely he'll get out before his death. Yeah. So he is now 75, and he is currently housed in the Monroe Correctional Complex in Washington. He's still alive? He's still alive right now. Hmm. So, um, after this, there is no information on what happened to Michelle, but given her record, we might hear from her in a year or two. (laughs) She's still out there? She's still out there. <laughs> I don't know what her name is anymore because she has a habit of changing her name to get away from the drama of her past. So, yeah, yeah she's still out there. So, she live in Oregon? Um, Oregon, Washington, or California, likely. Sticking to that Pacific North. Those are the three places she lived. I'm sure she'd probably stick with what's familiar. Mm-hmm. But that is the story of Michelle Gates and her life of lots and lots of tragedy. Yeah. Some of her own doing, some not. Some suspicious. <laughs> a lot suspicious. A lot suspicious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was one where I, I, I originally was doing it because of the story when she was 13, and then I found the story about her mom, and then I found the story about the um, other one, and then I found the story about the other one, and just kept, like, how many stories are there? (laughs) Yeah, trouble seems to follow her. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I would be worried about people named Michelle. No offense to anyone (laughs) out there named Michelle. It's my middle name. I I love the name, but now I'm really leery of people's name Michelle. (laughs) (sighs) At least people named Michelle that are around her age. (laughs) Yeah. And strangers. (laughs) Yes. What's next week's story? So, next week's story is going to be our first serial killer story. What? Yeah. It also takes place in Portland. (laughs) They're all in Portland. I need to stay away from there. It's just a popular place to be. Yeah, I guess. This one's kind of on the outskirts of Portland. The next one will take place in eastern Oregon after that. Okay. Yeah, we'll move around a little bit more. But, yeah, Portland's like the hopping place to be. Hmm. I have a couple unsolved ones after that. The one is in Portland and one is somewhere else. So, it'll be interesting. Mm -hmm. But until next time, keep it weird, people. (laughs) (laughs) Keep it weird, keep it crazy, keep it bizarre.